morning and a welcome to each of you. Greetings in our Savior's name, the one who gives us joy and peace, the one we've been singing about. I value our singing together and uh, just a way of bringing us to worship to our Creator God. I want to welcome our visitors here this morning. Thank you that you chose to be here with us this morning. I trust that you can receive a blessing by being here and also to our church family that together that we can be blessed. May our fellowship also be sweet. We have the privilege to do this week after week. I don't know what your week was like. God takes us on different journeys as we go through life. One week passes and another week comes, and we don't know what the week lies ahead of us. And I don't know what word you would put on your week that you had in the past. But as I think of this psalm here that Marcus read, we're going to look, this is going to be the text here this morning for the message. And the title for the message is, Where is God in times of distress. Psalm 4 here is a psalm of David. And we know that David has a way of expressing himself in so many different ways. Uh, his, his emotions. He has a way of express, expressing his emotions in the different circumstances that he goes through. Whether it's times of sin and repentance. Whether it's times of disappointment and discouragement, or times of rejoicing and praise. I love the way David has a way to express himself through any one of those circumstances. And there's something about reading Psalms that has, that can bring, I don't know if joy, but can, can add something to our lives and the things that we go through. There's something that we can connect no matter what you're going through, there is a psalm that you can find comfort in and connect with. So David expressed himself in so many different ways. And looking at this psalm, it's not really certain when this may have been written. But if you go back to Psalm 3, and Marcus alluded to that. If you go back there and look at that psalm, David is writing of when he fled from Absalom, his son. And we know that story of David fleeing Absalom, a sad, sad story. And if you think about David and his life of the many years that he actually lived in protection mode. He fled from Saul. I don't know how many years he was doing that. But then later on, he also fled from his very own son. He fled for his life. Because his son Absalom wanted to be the king and was going to overpower David and probably take his life if David would have not fled. Just a sad story. In Psalm 3, David is in shock due to the unexpected revolt that was led by his son. He was in physical danger. And then there's just this emotional confusion and he's also doing some self-searching, or, or you could say some soul-searching, to see if this was a justified revolt. 
because he was being accused of being out of God's will. Many people did not think that David should have been the king because he took it from Saul. And so he had that to work with throughout his life also. And so here in Psalm 4, you have the combination of, on the one hand, it is a psalm of, of personal distress and lament. He's crying out to God, not, not because of sin in his own life, but the effects of sin. The sin that others were involved in and the effects of that that had on his own life and the, the distress that it brought to him. And then you have, on the other hand, that this is a psalm of confidence. David putting his confidence and his trust in the Lord, despite the circumstances that he found himself in. I'm going to break down this psalm into three sections. The first two verses, the cry of the distressed. And then three through five, the conduct of the godly. And six through eight, the comfort of the Lord. And so looking, first of all, at the cry of the distressed. And th this, this psalm is a prayer. And as you read this psalm, you can almost feel the passion. You can sense the passion in David's voice. The passion that he had in this prayer. The King James Version says it this way. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And that's where you can hear, the, you can see that the plea that David puts. He says, hear me when I call. There's passion in his, in his cry, in his voice. There's emotion. And I believe there's feeling. He didn't just want to cast those words out to heaven. He, he wanted God's attention of right where he was found himself at in life. He wanted God's attention to his present problem. And I don't know how you find yourself in your prayer life, but I do wonder sometimes, do, do I lack passion in my prayer? Is, there, is it possible that there's power, that power in prayer is lacking because of lack of passion? And, and don't get me wrong, I don't think we persuade God by our emotional displays and how emotional we get. But God does care deeply about us. And so he cares. The things that we bring to him, he cares about them. Can we do that with passion or is it just or do we just pray because we should? And as I look at David and the way that he prayed over and over again and again throughout the Psalms, there was passion there. There was emotion. There was this times of distress. And it was he was going to God for comfort. Isaiah 64, 7, Isaiah says something about the children of Israel and the way that they neglected to go to God. He says this, And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. Those are Isaiah's words. And so I think this psalm here is a good example of David stirring up, crying out to God. And we know that the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. 
And I think some of this has to do with it because of David, the, the type of man that David was. Whether he was falsely accused or being pursued or whether it was the sin he committed, his heart was always turned toward God. And I say always because we know that David did sin in some dramatic ways at times. But it was those things also that he, he turned his heart toward God. That was the pattern of David's life that made him great. When his life was threatened, he turned to God. When he sinned, he turned to God. When he was confused, he turned to God. In verse 1 here in our text, David also recognizes that God has helped him in the past. And he says this, Thou hast relieved me. Or use it, the King James Version uses the word enlarged. Thou hast enlarged me. Another word there is relieved. Thou hast relieved me when I was in distress. <clears throat> so David recognizes that God did something for him in the past. And that's why he can go to him again. God did something for him in the past and he knows he will do something for him in the future too. Thou hast relieved me when I was in distress. David reflects on the goodness of God in the past and, and he has the confidence. David knew what it was like to have some answered prayer. Were they always answered? No, but he, he did have the confidence that God did do some good in his life in the past. And so he was willing to go there to him again. David prays with passion, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Did God always answer David's prayers the way he asked? I don't think he did. Will he always answer my prayers or your prayers the way that you ask them and would desire to see them answered? We probably all have heard it said that God answers prayers in three different ways. He either says yes, or he says no, or he says wait. And many of you can probably think of times when God specifically answered prayers and answered your prayer in that way. He gave you a yes, or he gave you a no, or he said wait. But what about the times when you didn't hear? What about the times when it feels like you didn't get any answer? Or it feels like you hear nothing? Where is God? Where is God in those times? And you can see some of this in verse 2 of David's expression. Where David addresses men and he's asking God, he, he says, How long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after, le after leasing? 
He asks, how long? Is this going to keep going like this? And there are many times that David cries out in desperation like this in Psalms. And I'm just going to allude to a few of them. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And there's others that you could turn to of David simply crying out to God, like, where are you at in my time of need? And yet the message of many of the Psalms is that God is under control. David comes around to that again and again, that God is the one that is in control. He's the one that I can trust. God is sovereign. We don't always understand why we go through the things that we do, but God is sovereign. He knows your life from the beginning to the end. Can we trust him even when things do not make sense to us? We serve a God who wants us to ask. He wants to hear our prayers, our pleas. So be passionate about your prayers and recognize that God is sovereign. Because God does hear your prayer. And and the scripture does also. There's a number of scriptures that I'm going to look at. That if God is not answering your prayer. Maybe we should take some inventory. And I know that these verses I don't want to give these. I'm not saying this because I'm indicating this in your life. But I'm only saying this because this is what scripture says. The Bible tells us there are several possible reasons why prayer may not be answered. And I'm just going to go down over and read some of these. If you want to turn to them, you can. Because we come to these verses, I find myself reading these verses, and you, and you think, really, what is God saying? Or where am I at in my own life? So some of these reasons why prayer may not be answered. John fifteen seven, maybe it's not abiding in Jesus. Here Jesus said, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. That's a difficult verse for us. Ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. But Jesus says, if ye abide in me. Another thing is unbelief and lack of fasting. Matthew 17, 20 and 21. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Maybe another reason why, why your prayer is not being answered is because a struggling marriage relationship 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
There's a connection there. It might be on confessed sin. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Another reason might be lack of Bible reading and Bible teaching. Proverbs 28.9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Another one is Matthew 6, 7. Maybe it's trusting in the length or form of prayer. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And there would be more scriptures that we could look at. But prayer is so unique and maybe somewhat mysterious to us. But if you think about it, God is our creator. He's the one who has created us and knows everything about us. And he really knows our hearts and our motives with the requests that we bring to him. God knows why we are doing that. I can think that I have the correct motive for praying or asking for something. But God ultimately knows the heart. And that's what he sees, and that's what he looks at when we're praying. God knows your heart. Answered prayer only happens when we pray, when what we pray is part of the will of God. And you ask, well, how do I know what the will of God is? But I believe when our heart is in tune with God, we know what to ask for. Answered prayer only happens when what we pray is part of the will of God. And that is part of us that we don't understand the sovereign will of God. And that's where the part of our trusting and letting go and recognizing that God is in control. Not an easy thing. There's something about it that when our prayers are answered in a specific way that that is faith building. There's something... There's so much power in that. When, when we see that a prayer is answered, it's faith, it's faith building. It builds, it increases our faith. I'll give you a, a small incident. I probably shared this before. Right? This happened a number of years ago in our family. One of our children had lost their eyeglasses. And I'm just saying this. I think God wants us to ask for everything. And I know I neglect to do this, but anyway, one of our children lost their glasses, and, and we searched the house up and down, I mean, inside and out. Inside, I say. But we searched the house everywhere. We thought we looked everywhere, and we did not find these glasses. Someone mentioned that we should get together and pray, and so we did. We simply asked God to show us where these glasses are. And so we went to look again, and it was it was within a minute till those glasses were found. Faith building. God does answer prayers. It does something for us when he does. It, it increases our faith. And yet, if all our prayers and requests were answered as we asked them, what would that be like? If everything I asked for, what I would always receive that. Who is God then? Because I could tell God what to do. 
if I could always pray and, and expect my, my prayers to be answered. And so there's a balance. And I think we, we struggle to, to find that sometimes, to know where that is. Because if God answers every one of my prayers, I probably wouldn't need God or I'd set myself up to being God. You would be, I would be trusting myself more than my faith in God. Remember Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and the way he prayed there. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed this prayer with passion. And the scripture gives us that indication <clears throat> there in Luke. It tells us that he was being in agony. He was praying fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The writer to the Hebrews describes Jesus' prayer in this way in, in Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Jesus prayed fervently and desperately with passion to the point of sweat becoming blood. More than I can imagine or, or fathom. Jesus, But Jesus was willing to do the will of the Father. Even in the darkest of the night. In the darkest time of his soul. I believe this was an intense spiritual raging battle that he was wrestling with that night. And so Jesus knows what we're going through. Jesus knows what it's like to not have his prayer answered the way that his flesh desired. Think about that. Jesus knows how that feels. The second thing we want to look at is the conduct of the godly. Verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. In spite of David's questions there in verse 2, he still recognizes who God is and that being a godly person means that you're set apart. You are distinct. You're different from the, from the world around you. You're set apart. And I think David is, is addressing the, the basic realities of God and, and the trials that come our way. He's reminding himself the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. So God has a purpose in the things that he does for the godly and righteous person. It's a reminder to us that the one who loves God and seeks his ways and lives faithful is a person like that is, is under the watchful care of God. And though trials and all sorts of troubles come into our lives, God, God fully realizes and knows when the righteous are suffering. God knows when you're suffering. And then in verse 4, it says, Stand in all and sin not and commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Stand in all. And I do, I'll admit, I, I wrestled with this verse. When you look at other translations, it uses the word tremble. Tremble and sin not. Some translations say 
be angry and sin not. The King James Version says, stand in awe. And when we think of standing in awe, we think of of reverent fear or uh, of honoring God. But yet when you think about it, tremble and sin not. And so when we face these difficult things, I think what David is is recognizing when, when he faces hard things, to not get so angry and so, set, uh, so upset at things that it causes him to sin, to respond in the wrong way, or even to respond in the wrong way to those that are sinning around him. But he says, stand in awe, tremble, or has the idea of being agitated. Tremble and sin not. Commune with your own heart. Or the word, another word for commune is meditate. Commune or meditate within your heart. And even refers here to doing it in your bed. Commune and meditate within your own heart, upon your bed. And David is is referring to a biblical meditation here. A biblical practice of meditation. Not not the Eastern practice of meditation. And there's there's a significant difference. In, In biblical meditation... It is we fill our heart and mind with God's word. We think about it and we drink it in. We meditate on it and it becomes a part of us. We take the time to be quiet and to be still before God. That's meditating, thinking about what God is doing. In Eastern med- meditation, the idea is to empty the mind To empty the mind and the heart. And this has the potential of leaving it open for deceiving spirits. And I think this is important that we realize this. The difference between the two. The contrast. Biblical interpretation. Sorry, biblical meditation. Is when we fill our heart and mind with God's word. Eastern meditation is when we empty the heart and mind. So there's a difference. When we meditate with God, it's wanting him to fill us, not wanting to empty ourselves. Yes, we empty ourselves in the, in the, in the sense that we put self away, but we fill ourselves, fill our minds with him and not just being empty before as we meditate. Because as we do that, we're only allowing other spirits to enter there. And so we need to be sensitive of who is speaking to us. Verse 5, it says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And I think David knew the value of doing these religious things, like offering the sacrifices. And yet he also knew that that could not replace his trust in the Lord. And we don't do the, the, the offering of sacrifices like David would have done. We don't know what that's like. And yet I, he was probably referring to that here, doing the uh, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. That was part of his life. That was what brought him, that brought him to God and uh, took care of his sins in that way. But here... 
we know that we have the cross. We, we live in the New Testament. The cross and the Lamb of God changed all of that. And so we don't have the need to go to the temple and to butcher a lamb and to sprinkle the blood on the sides of the altar and to burn the flesh before the Lord. But we do this in a different way. There's a number of scriptures that talk about sacrificing our lives. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The Hebrew writer is talking about singing, doing good, praising God and doing good and sharing with others. That's, the, that's part of the sacrifices that we make. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, with, which is your reasonable service. Worshiping God, acts of service, these are the modern, you could say the modern day sacrifices that we do. And they're pleasing to God. But along with the sacrifices, David is emphasizing trust in the Lord. He emphasized that if you look at the next psalm, Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. When we place our trust in God, it's letting go of ourselves and our hearts, letting go of our, ourselves and our fears and completely trusting in him, resting in the God who is sovereign. I want to look now at verses 6 through 8 on the comfort of the Lord. In these few verses, David is expressing the blessings of the comfort that he finds and that he receives from trusting the Lord. Verse 6, there be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the, the light of thy countenance. He goes on to say, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Verse 6, David is talking about a countenance here. He says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance. And I'm not sure what he's all referring to here, but think of what countenance is. When you think of countenance, it's someone's face or their facial expressions. And he's asking that God's countenance be upon him or God's favor be on him. And it's possible that he was even thinking about that promise that was given to Aaron there in in uh, Numbers 6, 24 and 26, where it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Who wouldn't want the countenance of the Lord upon themselves? He says in verse 7, Thou hast put gladness in my heart. And I think he's 
going on there about God's countenance upon him, that, that is resting on him. There, there's evidence of that. When, when a person has, you could, when a person has God's countenance, there is an expression of gladness. There's joy in a person's life. There is a radiance that reflects gladness. Even though David faced some extremely difficult things in life, he still could say that there is gladness in my heart. Because the Lord put it there. In verse 7, it begins with a comparison here. And it's comparing David, who has found peace in God, with his enemies who have not found peace with God. And David gives the picture here of, of the days of harvest. He's saying when, when the grain has been harvested and when the grain has all been brought in and everyone's enjoying that, enjoying the fruit of their labor, and when the, when the wine is flowing freely and everyone is enjoying that, he says his testimony is this. God has given me greater joy, greater gladness than what they have. These people can rejoice because of what the material things that they have, and they get excited about that and, and are, are glad and somewhat rejoicing about that. But David is saying, my joy, my gladness goes way above that. David knew what it was like to live in prosperity. He, he would have lived a, a good life for many years. I can imagine when he was even with Saul in, in those times that, that he was under his... his uh, with Jonathan, he was a good friend of Jonathan. There was times when he was there with the king. He would enjoy a good life. He would have knew what it was like to live in prosperity. Even when he was king, there was many years that he lived a good life. But he also knew the opposite side of that. He lived a lot of years where he was fleeing for his life. And there was days that he was in desperate need and didn't always know where the food was going to come from. And he needed the support of others. And he relied on the support of others. So David knew both sides of what it was like to be in prosperity and also to not have it. But he says that prosperity is not what brings joy. It comes from the Lord. There are times in our lives that we don't know where it's all going to come from and the needed support of others. And we need the support of others. Just like David did. David recognizes that his need of God, that he has a need of God, and that's where his gladness comes from. In, in verse 8, we see another God given blessing sleep. I look at this and see how the David, he says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And it appears like David could sleep even despite of the circumstances that he was in. He trusted that God was there for him in the midst of his circumstances. 
And I can imagine that when David would lay down at times of these, when he was trying to flee from his enemies especially, that he could have thought all kinds of things and even wondered if he should even be sleeping because he should be in that protection mode. And then I can imagine that those voices that he was hearing also of all kinds of torment of, of his friends or his so-called friends that were tormenting him. And yet he says he could lay down and he could sleep. You know, he could have been that person that tossed and turned through the night. But he says, he says that his trust, his faith alone is in God. And that's who gives him the peace. There's a verse that I, I like to, to think of a lot. Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I found comfort in that verse many, many times. The story is of, of a doctor that had to give this shot to a, a young girl, a four-year-old, and when she learned that after the doctor was going to do this, she became very anxious and her body started tensing up. And she observed the doctor picking up what she thought was this huge needle. And she turned her eyes to her father in just kind of a, a pleading and begging way. And as she fixed her eyes on him, he took her hand and, and he looked her in the face, looked her in her eyes. And it was with that that she found comfort. It was, wasn't because of the things that he was saying. But as he fixed his gaze on her, she kind of just relaxed. Because she, she thought that she has her father that can see her through this. And so she found comfort in his presence in the time of her distress. And that's the way it is with David here in Psalm 4 who once again, as he did many times in his life, he turned his eyes to God and he found comfort in the loving presence of his Heavenly Father. This morning I trust that you can find that comfort in your Heavenly Father, in our Heavenly Father, no matter what you're going through. God is there for you. Are you going to trust him? God does hear the prayer of the righteous. He does want us to cry out to him. He does want us to put our trust in him. Because that is where we can find our rest and our comfort. And so my prayer is that together that we can even do that as God's people. That we can rest in him. Because of who he is. He is sovereign. I'm going to close with the verses that Dwight read this morning. They're in Philippians. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, to God be the glory.
If you're able, kneel with me for prayer.